Well, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Imparting. We've got with us today one of our elders, Aaron Hicks, and one of our deacons, Israel Makambu. Good to have you fellows with us this morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's great to be here. All right. We've got a difficult subject to talk about, or what some would think of as difficult. Are you ready? Church discipline. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. What what do you think of? What do most people think of when you say the words church discipline? I think just the word discipline (laughs) already now makes me think of waking up in the morning and just working out and you know, doing something difficult. So it scares me. I, I thought maybe growing up in the Congo would be your dad chasing you around the house for your discipline. <laughs> you know, that's another form of it. <laughs> another form of it. Yeah. Uh, well, being in the Navy, what do you think of when you, you hear the word discipline? That's okay. <laughs> I'd say push-ups, but you were on a submarine, so probably not. Yeah, discipline, uh, means you're shamed for not being able to do your job and you're barred from doing it until you jump through a bunch of hoops to get back uh, on watch. So yeah. uh, it is a, it's a shameful process. And when we say church discipline, there's a lot of images that come to mind. And, and I would say because of abuses or stereotypes, uh, maybe even you know movies or, or hearing from a relative or a friend, what are some things we think of when, uh, when you hear the words church discipline? To me, an image of being barred from a cathedral. Mm. Okay. Your name is posted on a door because yep. of some sin you have committed. You are not allowed in to worship anymore. Excommunication, exactly, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. But uh, those images are vastly different than what we see in Scripture, Right. Correct. Yeah, yeah, both theologically uh, and practically, right? Oh, yeah. Because uh, church discipline in Scripture um, is not a one-time event. So when we, when I ask the question, "What do you think of?" and I, I threw out that word excommunication, when people hear the words church discipline, I think most, at the very least, think of what we would call the final step of church discipline when uh, when a person is put out of the body. And yep. so they would limit their understanding to, oh, well, it's this event. When in fact, scripturally, uh, church discipline is a process, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even a daily process. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's rewind. Let's leave some of our baggage at the door and let's talk uh, over the next few minutes. And this is the beginning of a conversation Certainly not going to cover it all today, but let's talk about both the theology and uh, and then the practical implementation of church discipline. What do we understand uh, from Scripture as to the purpose of church discipline? Can you think? One would be to maintain the purity of the church. That comes to mind. And then secondly, I would say uh, for the benefit of the believer who's being put out. Okay. Yeah. Read that in scripture. Yeah. And I'll just add to maintain order in the church. Um, it really is just that discipline. Right. So it's for the benefit of the individual and to use the, the, the biblical metaphor of, of the sheep. And then it's also for the benefit of the, of the flock, That's the right. purity of the flock. Oh yeah. And what's interesting is it seems to uh, have a primary and secondary priority with those two things as the process goes. 
So can you think of some passages where we might find some instruction on, on church discipline? Test my guys here. Yeah. Um, you know, if we go to Matthew 18, Matthew 18. Okay. So Matthew 18 lays out the steps of church discipline. And what's interesting about that is that the first, um, I think we would say the first three of those steps Mm -hmm. have a primary concern for the restoration of the believer of the sheep, right? Yeah. And I mean, I've heard you, uh, actually speak on this, um, at a wonderful Spanish conference and, one of the things that uh, stuck to my mind is just the placing of this verse, right? What, what comes right before uh, this passage on church discipline? Yeah, yeah. What, what comes right before? Yeah, it's Jesus pursuing the lost sheep. The lost sheep. Right. So when we see that, then this is a pursuit of, of a brother, not necessarily just someone wanting to Get into your business, as, right. as we may think. Get into it. your kitchen. This That's is fine. this is our Lord Jesus Christ, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ pursuing a wandering sheep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you understand it in that context, and we must understand it in that context, that if our Lord Jesus Christ, who has uh, redeemed us with his own shed blood, living the life that we could not live and dying the death in our place, he has purchased uh, a people for his own possession. Yep. How can we see this in any sort of jaundice light at all? That's right. You know, yeah. we, we we can say it's been done wrongly, but yep. we can't see it in and of itself as wrong in any way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just to add to that, when we, when we look at the purpose of of church discipline, I think something that we need to do uh, is examine ourselves and have a a correct view of our tendencies and depravity, which is uh, we need to see ourselves correctly. And, you know, the song Come Thou Found puts it well. We are prone to wonder, right? And the Lord, through his people, the Lord, through the elders of the church, seeks to restore uh, us when we when we are prone to wonder. And so church discipline isn't this um, thing that we should look at in a pejorative light, Rather, it's something that we should look uh, forward to almost in a way um, in the church. Yeah, let me read those verses. So from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 12, uh, our Lord says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And then the very next verse uh, starts the instructions. If your brother sins, go <clears throat> go and show him his fault in private. Mm. Wow. You know, so so what is explained here is that this wondering especially as we've learned it in, uh, in our study in Hebrews, this drifting, this drifting has a destination. We are saved by grace through faith, but genuine faith perseveres. That doesn't mean that, that, that uh, God's children don't fall into sin, but he always pursues them. He always disciplines them. He always brings them back. That's right. And so there's this sense in which our great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, says, this wondering is dangerous. I'm going to pursue you. 
and uh, and when I restore you, we are going to rejoice. So in the same way, how are we as a body of believers to emulate our great shepherd, each one first looking to ourselves uh, in pursuing, I would say, pursuing the drifting or pursuing the wondering? Well, uh, verse 15 tells us, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in, say, public? Nope, this is nope. private. In private. private. Okay. Yep. So let, let's let's talk about this theologically. It is for the the uh, the pursuit and, uh, and and winning back a wandering sheep. And then we also talked about the purity of the flock, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit. But what does this first step practically look like in the life of a church? I think it starts with loving one another enough to pursue a friend a brother in Christ, but to pursue a friend. Um, if you read in, in Galatians 6, Paul says, if any brother is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual should pursue him with the spirit of gentleness. So it's really that motif of the the shepherd pursuing the sheep, yeah. and we all have that role with one another. So it, it starts with the position of loving one another enough to pursue even a close friend um, when we know that it could come at a cost. Okay, so let me let me push you on that there a little bit. That Galatians 6.1, um, there is, first of all, the recognition that that sin is dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. If your brother is overtaken in a, in a caught or overtaken in a trespass. So I think it starts with us having a healthy understanding, a healthy even fear of the consequences of sin mm-hmm. in, our, in anyone's life. Yep. Uh, rather than burying our head in the sand and saying, well, you know, I, I, it's not that big of a deal, if his sin gets more serious, I'll get involved. But then there's another part of that. It says each one look into yourself. So it's also the reality of I'm, I'm going to check myself before I go. Mm-hmm. And and all of this is undergirded by uh, are we going to love one another enough? I'm going to say to risk. You know, it, yep. let's talk about love that risks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do we think about with our own children? Are we willing to uh, risk in our love as we parent? Are we willing to risk that our children may not like or appreciate all that we do? Yeah, that's a great perspective. I think it comes down to uh, trusting in God's word and trusting in God's requirement for us to be faithful and then leaving the consequences to God. Yeah. If I'm willing to do that for my own children, which I, which I do on a daily basis, why would I not be willing to do that for a, a brother or sister or friend, you know? That's right. Um, in, the, in the faith, because if I really realize how dangerous it is, then why would I not pursue? So I think there has to have, we have to create this culture in our congregations where we realize the damaging effects of sin mm-hmm. and we realize that Genuine love is not thinking about myself first, but thinking about the situation they're in. Yep. And it has to drive us, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So this is not about controlling. This is not about, you know, making everyone look like us. This is not about, you know, uh, taking preferential things and raising them to a higher level. No, this is if your brother sins. Mm-hmm. In fact, I really, uh, you know, different, different sermon for a different day, but I think the NI, NIV talks about if you're, if your um, if your brother offends you, mm-hmm. go to him. It's like no, it's a poor translation. It's not about me being offended. It's about is my brother caught in a trespass? That's right. Yeah, it has to do with um, 
they're often how how they've offended God, not how they've offended us. That's great. Primarily, yeah. so yeah, and so, and I think that's a that's a huge one to always to always remember when we're pursuing someone. It's are we driven by our desire to restore them for Christ, or are we driven by our desire to be justified and proven right? Right. So it's not about me uh, being proven right or me being justified. It's about me loving a brother enough to show them the way to Christ. Right. So, yeah, and so using that Galatians six one, I would call it six one attitude. Mm-hmm. Each one looking to yourself. What does that first conversation look like? You know. Yeah, I think this is where practical discipleship, or what we call being relationally qualified, comes into play. Okay. And so there's Scripture gives us. Um, the tools that we need to do this well it doesn't mean it's easy um, and it takes practice, but gives us the tools. And I would, I would point to first Thessalonians five 14. Okay. All right. Um, and so um, I can go ahead and read that. Um, it says, and we urge you brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak and be patient with all men. And so the way that we approach our brothers, always assuming the best in the way that we approach them. And we would say, discerning the truth. So we ha- we're assuming the best in our communications, but we also discern uh, the depravity of, of man right. as we go into those. Yeah, so that I think that first assumption, that approaching someone is um, you have to give the benefit of the doubt that they may not realize, mm-hmm. um, you know, what they're involved with yeah. or even the danger, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think about the old illustration of, you know, a guy's driving by and he sees a buddy of his, you know, um, walking out of the liquor store, with, you know, with a bag and stumbling. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he says, well, you know, I, I, I need to approach him because he's clearly fallen into sin. And it's like, well, <laughs> the way you approach him is you say, hey, can I ask you a question? I, I saw you the other day uh, coming out of the liquor store and stumbling. Um, you know, did you, did you just trip? Is this, you know, is this, you know, something you're doing every day? You know, I mean, you, you just, you give the benefit of the doubt, you know, and you may find out that it was completely innocuous. There was mm-hmm. nothing exactly. going wrong, you know, but what you saw um, gave you pause. And so you don't come in with guns blazing. You don't accuse mm-hmm. you. You, first of all, you pray and you, you check your own heart. Now that doesn't mean that you have to um, have achieved some sort of uh, perfection, mm-hmm. you know, and, and use it as an excuse not to go to him. But no, you do, you you do make sure you're fessed up, as we say. But I love that approaching with humility, um, asking the question. Yep. That's what the first step is. It's asking the question. Yep. If uh, if the brother is in sin and God does grant repentance, uh, it ends there, right? Mm-hmm. Does anyone else need to know about this? Nope. And no one should. So theoretically, I would say practically, this first step should be going on all the time in a church body, and the elders never, ever know about it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I I think um, that is the most crucial step, if I would say, uh, in church discipline. And the reason why people are so scared of church discipline, and let me just say this, it is normal and uh, understandable for our culture today um, to be a little afraid of church discipline. In a way, there has been a lot of churches who have poorly practiced uh, this. 
there have been lots of people who, just lacking the tools or understanding, have hurt the church by by trying to practice church discipline. So we get that. We get that. I mean, there always is the guy out there. Exactly. It's like my my spiritual gift is church discipline, (laughs) right? right? That's right. There's always someone who's too passionate. No, stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we get that. We understand that. Um, Lots of people have been hurt, but just because uh, a tool can be used poorly doesn't mean it shouldn't be used rightly. Right. Uh, So then we should press ourselves to use this wonderful tool in the right manner um, that the Lord has given us. And so this first step, really, as you say, Rod, should be going on every single time. And when we see someone fall, not all the time, but most of the time, it is because lots of people chose their preference rather than practicing this first step. Well, and sin grows, doesn't it? That's exactly I mean, look at our own lives. It's like you look at the habitual sins that you've fallen into you did not fall into that depth, the depth of that hole in one day. That's exactly it. It grew. That's exactly it. And you rationalized and no one approached you. And people may have seen things, but they didn't say anything. Yeah. So yeah. here comes the difficulty. I, I think I think most people, I, you could preach a sermon on Matthew 18, 15, the first step in a spirit of Galatians 6, 1, uh, in the context or against the backdrop of Christ pursuing the wandering sheep, and people would say, amen, amen, this is great. Now, getting them to do it, it's not so easy, but I think there's no reticence there per se. But then what happens when that sheep that you're pursuing, your friend, bites back? I think, number one, you always have to be ready for that. So you can't be taken back if if the bite comes um, and, and what's so important about that first step and being willing to even ask the question um, is it starts to reveal the heart of the person that you're approaching. Um, you know, there are a couple outcomes could come about it. We would say that discipleship either exposes rebellion or enacts repentance. So repentance could come. And like we said, uh, the conversation's over and we rejoice. Um, it could be a misunderstanding or, uh, or that repentance could come a little bit later, a little but, bit later. but the first response which we've all been guilty of at some point, yep. is... Offense. Offense. Yes. Well, you're, And we usually say it this way. Well, your delivery was bad. Yes. That's right. Yep. <laughs> okay. And the cynic in me wants to say, well, well here, rewrite my delivery and, and, and let me give it again. Let's see if we get the same response. Or we go straight to the excuses. Right? <laughs> we go to the excuses. Well, you don't know my situation. Back off. Yeah. Yep. My right. situation's different. And I'll go a step further because I'm guilty of this. And if you were in my situation... You would have done the same thing. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, now I take the moral high ground. But let's be honest. It's hard uh, because now it's personal. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you're like, well, this thing that I really didn't want to do in the first place, uh, now my good is being taken as evil. Um, certainly, maybe maybe I could have done it better, but that's probably not the real excuse for the, for the biting back. And now it hurts. Yeah. And so- what do most people do at this point? Give up. They quit. Yeah. Yeah. They quit. So, well, I'm, in fact, they don't only quit. They say, I'm never, what? Doing that again. I'm never <laughs> doing that again. Yeah. That felt so unchristian. Um, I'm, uh-uh, that's, that's, that's not it. And then we start to create a whole encyclopedia of wonderful, noble excuses as to why we just, we just want to let the Holy Spirit move in the future. Yep. Yep. Right? Yep. Okay. So let's look at this second point here. 
the second step in Matthew 18. But if he does not listen to you, this is verse 16, take one or two more with you, so that with the mouth of one or two of those witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. All right. So does that mean you go and you say, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the Calvary? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the whole jury? No. What does that say? I think practically what this looks like is you are probably in a, some, some sort of discipleship relationship with this person. You know them well. You see something that concerns you. Um, you may not know uh, whether it's a trespass or not. Sometimes you do, or you're more confident in that. And pushback comes, and over a period of, you know, depending on uh, the nature of the offense, maybe it's private conversations that happen over a period of time and where that first conversation doesn't go well, and you say, okay, um, your response kind of concerned me. I'd like to start grabbing lunch with you every week or, you know, setting up some type of tempo. So it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean, I think, in, in actual discipleship scenarios that as soon as somebody you know, pushes back that I have Chris on speed dial and he's a minute away and I, and I get him to come to the conversation. Usually it looks like, well, let's follow up. I want to continue this conversation. Yeah. And then you'll hit, a, you'll hit a point where somebody is rebellious to the degree that they're unwilling to move. Um, they're taking offense um, and then, uh, then it becomes appropriate. And so, yeah, I think there's several facets. I mean, the, uh, the Holy Spirit in his, his infinite wisdom gave us this step. This is, this comes out of Deuteronomy as well. This, by the fact of two or three witnesses, it might be confirmed. Um, but it is a blessing. It's a, it's a blessing to the per- person who is pursuing. It is a blessing to the sheep who is receiving it. Absolutely. Because I, I might be flawed in how I see it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know exactly. So I want to explore this second step, um, and uh, let's let's do that when we have a little bit of time in the next podcast. So join us again, and we will look at um, the second and third steps of uh, what's called church discipline, or what we prefer sometimes to call uh, believer's restoration. I think it's a good good descriptive term. I'm not in place of church discipline, but to just remove some of the baggage. And we'll talk about what it looks like to uh, bring uh, one or two with you to confirm that you're seeing it rightly and to call a believer to repentance.